And you may be seated. Hey, it's great to see you this morning. I would rather be here than the best hospital in Texarkana. How about you? Well, I told my grandson last week that Pastor Travis was for the Patriots. He couldn't believe it. Several were. And this was the expression on his face when he heard that. It's like I could just read his mind. He's saying, hey, look, the Patriots quarterback, uh, uh, he's okay, but... The Eagles quarterback, he's going to be a pastor when he quits football. Uh, the coach thanked Jesus in front of the cameras for the victory, and he even led the team in the Lord's Prayer. So uh, that, you should take, take advice from him. He'll tell you where to go. Pastor Travis, we love you, though, buddy. I know it was hard last week. He and I watched it together, and it was a, it was a difficult day for him. <laughs> hey, we're going to finish the uh, series called Pursuit. And uh, by the way, it, it, we have more room. We're thrilled you're here today, but we've got more room Saturday night in our Sunday first service if you want a little more space. But this series, Pursuit, we've been on really since the first of the year. And it's been my desire to help you prioritize your life around God and His will as we go into this new year. I mean, we, it's already here. New Year celebrations are long past. But my hope is the Lord Jesus Christ and His will for your life will be the top pursuit in your life in this new year. Uh, the first few weeks we talked about spiritual disciplines and priorities. The last couple we've talked about how our spiritual and our material world join together. They're not separated because what happens materially in our world and our finances affects us spiritually. Uh, we read the text from the book of Acts, Acts 20 verse 35. Jesus told us to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Paul is saying this and Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. We learned about what that means. It seems awkward. It seems odd to me. I, I have a selfish side to me. I, I tend to be like this rather than like that. But we learned about generosity last week, how generosity can be a way of life for us in all things that we do. We learned the first week about our giving to God and to God's work through our tithe and our offering, how it prioritizes our life. Well, this morning, I, I want to talk about a spiritual disaster that can undermine your pursuit of God. I'm calling it Lom's disease, L-O-M-S, Lom's disease. How many have heard of it? Well, you were here last night. That's not fair. <laughs> you won't find it in the medical journals, though I suggest it should be in the journals of psychiatry and psychology, the DSM-5. It should be there because it can literally affect the way a person thinks, the decisions they make in their life. Judas Iscariot had this disease and betrayed Christ for a handful of coins. The Pharisees, deeply religious, but they had this disease. They had Lama's disease. They were ones that crucified Christ. There's a story of a man I very much identify with. He was a young man. He was a, called the, 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 the rich young ruler in the scripture. Uh, he had a, a heart and a bent for God and following God's ways, but he caught Lama's disease and it separated his heart. He literally lost and walked away from his eternal soul. So when I use this abbreviation, Lama's disease, I'm talking about the love of money. And it can be fatal in our life. And if I can illustrate it with some pictures, we've been in this series of pursuit. Uh, it's like as a Christian, I'm going up this mountain. The mountaintop is my, my goal to reach the, the, the calling of God in Christ. I'm not going alone. I'm going with other people. Uh, it's treacherous sometimes. There's falls. I've got to be careful. Here's a little video of someone that was actually climbing rock uh, up a mountain. And notice what happened to them. Wow. 
Now that's her boyfriend recording that. I think we should, I turn on the I think we've seen enough of him. How about if this sign was on the mountain where they were walking? Watch for falling rocks. Now they could have chosen to ignore it, but how many know if they heeded that sign, they could have been spared from a tragic fall and accident. Just a few days ago, my niece, she's in California, goes to USC, and uh, she was rock climbing or at climbing a mountain hiking, and there was a group of young teenagers that was in front of her, and one of them had a little crisis, started to yell, and she looked up and a rock the size of a grapefruit hit her, and she fell down a mountain like 30 feet before she stopped and had to be airlifted out. Now, thankfully, she's okay, but there's a danger in the pursuit up the mountain. And this is what I want to talk about. I, 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 it's like the flu. I mean, for three months now, they've begged us to get flu shots. Uh, flu is, is everywhere. I, I guarantee you, it's either been in your home or you know somebody near you that's had it. Uh, if, you're, if, you, if you're out in public, you're probably looking for the little dispensers, you know, with the, with the alcohol. You go to the grocery store, you want to wipe the cart off, you're wiping doorknobs. Uh, if somebody sneezes, you back away because you don't want to get the flu. You don't want to get this disease. And listen, nobody wants it. Tamiflu, I guess, can help it shorten its duration. But there's a disease that can affect us spiritually. Again, I'm calling it Lom's disease. And I want to contextualize this. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gave us what's called the parable of the sower. And Jesus gave us kind of a warning of what to watch for to be careful so we don't lose our spiritual life, so our spiritual life doesn't fall by the wayside. Um, he gave three examples. The first one, Matthew 13, 18, Jesus said, listen to what the parable of the sower means. And the picture is someone's literally a farmer sowing seeds and he talks about how these seeds fall in four different places. And the goal is, in the Christian life, is that seed, which is a picture of God's Word, the Bible, how it affects our heart, the words of the Holy Spirit, how it makes us grow spiritually and become the person God wants us to be. But what he's saying is, not all seed brings a fruit. And the, grow, and the goal in, the, in this parable was that every Christian would grow to maturity. And here's what he said that happens to those that fell by the wayside. He said, verse 19, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom, that's God's word, but doesn't understand it, the evil one, that's Satan, he comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. That's the seed on the path, or like seed sown on a sidewalk. So literally, uh, there is a real devil in the world. People can hear the word of God in church, on the radio, a friend could share it. And it's almost as if they step back and say, ah, that's not true, or, or that's not speaking to me. And it's like it evaporates from their mind. Well, not every time, but certainly on some occasions, that can be a spiritual thing when Satan is robbing the word from us. The second one, verse 20, seed falls on rocky ground, referred to the one who hears the word of God, receives it with joy, but they have no root. They only last a short time. In other words, they're not mature. They don't grow in their spiritual life. That's why we want to encourage you to read your Bible every day. We applaud you from coming to church to worship the Lord, to learn the Bible. Uh, but, but trouble or persecution comes, they fall away. Now, here's the third one we're going to focus on to, uh, this morning. And I want you to see that of all that Jesus could have said, one of the biggest things he said that can be a hindrance in your spiritual life is this. He said, seed falling among thorns. So imagine we're sowing seeds and weeds grow up all around it. It refers to someone who hears God's word, but notice the worries of this life, temporary, temporary things, and the deceitfulness of 
wealth, the deceitfulness, the lure of it. It will choke the word and make it unfruitful. Now, if I can illustrate with this picture, uh, if you can see that this is a tomato plant right here, but you can see it's surrounded. Uh, there's, there's crabgrass and this little bitty seed that you could barely see the size of a pin will grow into something that will take all the nutrients. Uh, others, other plants would go around it, and if they don't get the weeds away from it, no tomatoes. Uh, when I was a boy, I was raised on a farm. We raised cotton. And uh, my dad would make me, back then they didn't have as good chemicals as we have today, and, and, and we would get most of the weeds through the cultivator. But some would slip by, and dad would send me out there with a hoe, or I'd even pull some of them up by hand, called a cucklebur. Have you ever heard of, I mean, heard of cucklebur? Yeah, they're just this demonic little thing, got stickies all over it. And they look like the cotton when it's little. But when it starts growing, it takes all the nutrients and it grows larger than the cotton and it, and, it, and it covers it. It blocks the sun so the cotton doesn't bear fruit. Well, that's a picture of the danger of Lom's disease or how if a Christian doesn't handle money the right way, it can affect their spiritual life. And that's what I want to teach you about this morning, how to handle your money the right way. Uh, I want to teach you how to enjoy what God gives you. Uh, if you're blessed, listen, if you're able to take a nice vacation, own a nice car, whatever the case is, you should never feel guilty. I mean, no, that's the blessing of the Lord. The Bible says the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. Uh, Deuteronomy says it's God that gives us the ability to obtain wealth. You know, uh, so if, if you're living a blessed life, don't ever feel guilty because of that. But what we want to be careful of is that money doesn't become our number one pursuit. And this is the great danger, because in our society today, everything is done through the medium, medium of exchange of money. If we lived 50 or 100 years ago, if we were in an agrarian society, or if you lived in the wilderness of Alaska, you'd have to take care of yourself, and you'd be more apt to pray when you planted your garden, because you know that there's no Sam's in the wilderness. I mean, you can't just get up and go to Albertson's if your garden didn't grow. So there's more deliberateness. But today, as long as I've got money, I can pretty much do what I want to. And money is a good thing. It is what enables us to provide for our children. Jesus, I pray for money every day. Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Friday, Rebecca and I, we went to Sam's, uh, filled up the cart. We went to Albertson's. Uh, today, we'll eat lunch after church. That's an answer to prayer. But somehow in all this, you and I can catch this disease that's worse than the flu. And uh, I want to explain to you what love of money is uh, today. I think it'll help you. Go to Luke chapter 16. Uh, we're going to look at two passages, one that Jesus taught and one that Paul the Apostle taught. The, one, the second passage, I think, is the most balanced scripture in all of the Bible about how to have a healthy relationship with money. Uh, and then we'll talk about the, uh, the antidote for Lom's disease. Let's read Luke chapter 16. Now, it, it follows what's called the parable of the unjust manager. Luke 16 deals with, with, with the, this manager. It's a bad example to teach a good spiritual truth. Then he gives us these few verses we'll look at. And then he talks about another story, a parable of a man named Lazarus. He was a poor man, not the one raised from the dead, but a poor Lazarus. And he literally ate food with the dogs under the rich man's table. And both of them died. Lazarus ended up in heaven and the rich man was in hell. But he didn't go to hell because he was rich. He went to hell because money had captured his heart. So this is a, a lengthy passage, but Luke 16, let's look at the first verse, verse 10. After the parable of the manager, uh, it, it, Jesus said, He who is faithful in what is least is faithful in much. And the least is the temporary, the material world, the, in this case the financial world. 
And he who is unjust in what is least is unjust in much. This is a very broad principle that applies to life. For example, if you, your first job, you're, you go to the burger place, and your job is to, is to put the toys in the Happy Meal. Well, how many know if the manager, if every, every fifth kid that comes uh, uh, in the door, you forget to put the, the Happy Meal in, you know, you forget the toy, how many know the manager's going to track you down? Uh, that's your job. Well, guess what? If you do that faithfully, that manager's going to see you're there at work on time, you're doing a good job. Before you know it, you're going to be over the grill. Before you know it, you'll be a shift manager. Before you know it, you're the assistant manager. Before you know it, you're managing the whole place, and perhaps you've got a degree along the way in business, and now you're on your own chain. I mean, that's the way life works. You're faithful with a little bit. It's the key to success. Well, then Jesus is going to translate this into something called unrighteous mammon. Jesus said, if you've not been faithful or in your stewardship or in your management of your material world, it was called unrighteous mammon, who will commit or how will God commit to your trust true riches? So it's like, the, what, what I do with money and material things is a spiritual test. And it's not just money, it's my material world. Uh, I'm ashamed to say this, several years ago, you know, every, we, we do coat drives, we always have coats every winter. And I had this coat that I bought when I lived in California. Now think about that. That was 30-something years ago. And uh, I just liked that coat. But the only problem was I just never wore it anymore. But it was hard for me to let go of it. Now, I know you've never done anything like that. You'll probably pick another church next week where the pastor is more mature. But I'm just telling you, sometimes... Uh, there's been occasions where we've, uh, uh, the Lord prompted us to invite someone to live in our home. Someone was, at, was trustworthy, not just somebody off the street you didn't know, but they were in a difficult time, and, and, and we felt God wanted to help them. Well, how many know you can say yes or you can say no? So this is what I'm talking about. It's not just money. It's not just debit cards. I'm not talking about your giving in the church today. I'm talking about how you, how you manage this thing called money and whether it's something that's helpful and beneficial or something that'll get you in trouble. Now, this word mammon, that's the New King James translation of it. Uh, many translations just say money. But this is an Aramaic word for money that's personified as an evil object of false devotion. Now, listen, money is, is, is neither moral nor immoral. It is amoral, which means what I do with it determines whether it's good or bad. Uh, how many know when we pray for daily bread and God gives it to us, a rightful use of money is, is, is buying our food? Uh, we use our money, as the Bible says, for enjoyment. That's a good thing that we can do with what God entrusts for us. We invest for our future. The Bible talks about, particularly in Proverbs, about planning for the future, uh, giving, helping, and sharing other people, all valid uses of money. So money's not evil, but it has the power to awaken selfishness in our heart. Sometimes evil purposes, but oftentimes selfishness. Uh, this word mammon is a preoccupation of, 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 with wealth. Now, I mean, we, we, we can and should be preoccupied, but we should be primarily preoccupied with God. And money, our careers, what we have should be secondary. And this is the issue. It's not as one bad or as one good, but which is first? Uh, Jesus wants wholehearted devotion. Because if you're not careful, the accumulation and protection of money and material things becomes more important than God. And that's where the danger is. Uh, Colossians 3 verse 5, it tells us, Look inwardly and put to death sinful earthly things lurking inside you. In other words, watch, get rid of that bug. I mean, if there's a flu virus I, after church, uh, I wish I had a microscope to look on my hand sometimes. 
I shake a bunch of hands, particularly Sunday morning, and I try to make it a point to shake every kid's hand and, you know, give them a high five and all that. And invariably, I'll see one coming, and he's doing this. <laughs> and I'm thinking, give me a fist bump there, bud. <laughs> but, but if, as soon as church is over, I go wash my ass, you know? Why is that? I don't, I, want, I don't want any germ. I don't want to catch anything. And this is, this is, what he, this is the, the portrait that he's painting here. Look at verse 13. Jesus said, no servant can serve two masters. And what he's saying, money, when it's the, the evil side, when it's, when it's used wrongly, when it's perceived wrongly, when it's desired more importantly than God, it's going to be your master or Jesus is. And only one can be first. Jesus said it. No, no servant can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. Or more understandable, you'll be loyal to one and despise the other. Now, I hadn't had a problem in a long time with daily bread. I'm grateful to God that I have food to eat. But it's that second part of enjoying what God gives me is sometimes troubling because I like to buy things. Anybody? How many actually have a list of things that you'd like to buy? Come on, let me see your hand here. Me too. Way more honest in this service. The, the, the last service, only two people raised their hand, filled with liars. <laughs> now, whether yours is written down or it's on my little computer printing program. And here's the deal. At this stage of my life, it's that stage that I have to watch. Because nothing I buy is evil. I don't go out and I don't spend it on porn. You know, I don't go out and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't buy drugs. I don't, I, don't, I don't hire hit men for church members I don't like. I don't do things like that. <laughs> But for me, the danger is, I'd really like this a vest. This little sharp hunting vest from Max Prairie Wings. Looks cool. Got a little emblem on it that nobody knows what it means, but it's cool. <laughs> and there's a, a, an orphan from Burma. And it takes $75, and you have to make the choice. That's where the challenge is for me. And I'm not knocking the vest. Listen, you, I, if you live like this with your material world and say, Lord, can I have that? And I'm asking him all the time. I pray for things. I ask, Lord, can I have it? And if he says yes, I enjoy it. But if he says no, this is where the challenge is for me. It's, that's where it's a master. Jesus said this, you cannot serve God and mammon. And notice verse 14, the Pharisees who, this is why I want you to say what it says. Love money. The Pharisees loved money. Now, these were the guys that preserved the Bible between the book of Malachi and Matthew. 400 years, there was no written Bible like we have it today, no Gutenberg press. And they were the ones that preserved the Bible, but somehow they were the ones involved in crucifying Christ. What happened to these men? I suggest to you they caught Lon's disease. The Bible says they loved money, and they're listening to what Jesus said and made fun of him. See, it can affect your heart. Jesus, only by making God's first, the master, can there be freedom from money in our life. If God is here and money is here, listen, you meet your needs, you have fun, you do with it as the master tells us. This is why I think, personally, why tithing is so important. Tithing orders our material world around God first. Tithing is not an appeal. In my little, I got a little program. It's a, it's a, it, you know, it adds, it's a spreadsheet, Excel spreadsheet. And after whatever, I've got unexpected money sometimes, the first thing out of it automatically is God's 10%. Every paycheck, everything that I receive. I've been doing this probably 38 years of my life. And, and, and I don't just do it so God will bless me. I've taught you about that. But I do it because it prioritizes my life around God. Because a tithe, 10%, is significant enough to shake my life. For many of us, a tithe is a nice car payment. 
or a tithe is, you know, a nice visit to Red Lobster or, or, or wherever it is, Outback. And it's a choice that we make. And that choice helps me on a personal level put God's first because I don't want money to control me. I want my desires to be first for God. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Uh, did you know there are what's called money and disease researchers? True story. You can look it up. There was a researchers, uh, and they, 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 they studied a bank, and they found on a bill, whether it was a dollar, $10 bill, but imagine a $10 bill. It had 3,000 different types of bacteria on it. 3,000. We're talking about dirty money now. Uh, New, York, New York University had what was called the Dirty Money Project, and the head biologist said currency, dollar bills, hundreds, may be one-way antibiotic-resistant genes move around cities. Now, I share that with you, not because money is bad. If you think money is evil and bad, would you please give what you have to the person next to you right now? Come on. No, it's not bad. But the, but the point is, it can infect us with a disease. If you see your kids, I mean, we would tell our kids this all the time. They would get a quarter when they were little or something, and they're going to put it in the little machine in the grocery store. And what do they do with it? Put it in their mouth. And we'd say, get that out of your mouth. That's dirty. Well, this is the kind of understanding I'm trying you to have. But the problem is, the Bible doesn't tell us what the love of money is. When Jesus said they love money, he didn't tell us the specifics about it. So we've got this kind of abstract concept floating out there, all of us not wanting to do it, but somehow finding it grab us. So I want to try to explore perhaps some symptoms of it, and uh, I want to give you a prescription for it from the book of Timothy. Now, 1 Timothy chapter 6, why don't you turn there again, in my opinion, the most balanced teaching about money in the Bible. But the context of 1 Timothy is about false teachers. These are religious, presumably Christian people. And here's what he says to them. He says, these people always cause trouble. Their minds are corrupt. In other words, they have a, they have a wrong view or understanding about their view of, of material goods. He said, they've turned their backs on the truth. Now, how many know when we believe the lie, whatever it is, you just take any, any, any truth that the Scripture teaches about money. For example, uh, he who lends to the poor, or he who gives to the poor, Proverbs says, lends to the Lord, and God will repay you back for what you've done. But yet I can have on my heart, because there's so many panhandlers out there, come on, there are, and they're just hustling, I can shut my heart to all the poor. Well, that would be a lie that I've, that I've believed. This is what he says. He says, to these people, a show of godliness is just a way to become wealthy. It could have been, they could have been charging a large honorarium for their teaching, or it could have been people in their heart that, uh, that they could have just been giving to get from God. They could have been going to church so other people would see them. It's good for business. You make business contacts, contacts in church. We don't know what it was, but somehow they were, they were just seeing God as, as a stepping stone to get rich. God was a stepping stone to get something. And he says this amazing statement, true godliness with contentment is great wealth. Now this word contentment, it means being happy with what I have. Now the Bible doesn't prevent us from wanting more or to have nice things. Ambition is not a bad thing. Listen, my, my daughter's getting ready to go to college and I want to do everything in my power to help her have a great experience. You know, uh, I, I, I hope every one of you have dreams about your future. If you're starting out in your first home or you're renting an apartment, I hope you get a beautiful home one day. I hope, you know, you watch Extreme Makeover or one of the TV shows. My wife's already wanting to redo our house now because they're watching one of those, what do y'all watch? 
fixer-upper. I mean, those are Texas people. That's got to be good. But those things are not bad. But they carry a disease that if I get the disease, what could have been good turns into something bad. Are, are, are you with me on that? And I, I'm going to try to explain it as I go. Uh, maybe I can illustrate it this way about contentment. I know people personally who drove a used vehicle, didn't like it, and finally came to a place in their life where they could afford to buy a new vehicle. And they got it, I mean, as proud as they could be until they got in the car with their friend and their friend, similar vehicle, but it had a gadget on it theirs didn't have. And they no longer like their vehicle. Well, you pick anything you want to. How about, how about the, some of the new cars that have a little start feature where you can, you know, be in the house, it's cold, and start your car and the heater comes on. Well, I don't have one of those. I'm not going to be happy till I get one. And you can get one. You can go and pay an extra $300 a month for a payment for the next seven years, and you can have one. But you'll only use it half a dozen times a year. Are you with me today? In our world, there's this sense that unless, I, and we've all got some, something we aspire to. You know, years ago, it could have been the Marlboro man on a horse with a cigarette coming out of his mouth. Or, or you know, it could be a lady in a business suit driving a, a BMW. But we have an aspiration for something materially, and we think when we get that, we're going to be happy. And that's where the illusion is, because happiness doesn't come from what I have. Happiness comes from my relationship with God. Listen to what Paul said. This is very practical. Philippians 4.11, Paul said, I've learned how to be content. I think this is one of the greatest challenges in materialistic America, in a consumer-driven society. You know, some of us won't even wear clothes that aren't the new style. We don't change clothes in America today, by and large, because they've got holes in them. Listen, holes are in style today. Come on. We don't, change, we don't change clothes because they're wore out. We change them because somebody on television, come on now, somebody in, with a marketing degree, somebody in the Dillard store, somebody out there has told us this is what cool people wear, and we follow that. Now, I'm not telling you don't do that. I'm not telling you it's a bad thing. I'd much rather look cool than look dated, okay? But what I'm saying is, is if that's the pursuit of your life, you're going to catch Lyme's disease. Philippians says, I've learned how to be content. I, I, I can live on almost nothing or with everything. And here's how, verse 13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Amen. Now, let me help you. If you and, and I have this sometimes. I remember vividly. We used to, this has been years ago when the kids were little and, and we didn't have that much, but we had a little Toyota van. And uh, our van was just a, it was a nice little van. It was a plain van. I got, I drove behind somebody that was right here on I-30, and they had an exact van like ours. It was white with black trim, but on the back of theirs, it had L-E. And I could only imagine that was luxury edition. And I didn't have luxury edition. Am I preaching to the right crowd today? We've all struggled with this. Let me tell you how to get over it. When you make your next stop while you're thinking about the LA you don't have, would you look at your air conditioner and say, Lord, thank you that I have a car with an air conditioner in it. Come on now. I've driven with just windows before, and in August, that's not very fun. Lord, I thank you. I may not have an eight. Listen, there was a day when you had to have an eight changer CD, and you had so many CDs stuck in that thing, you didn't even know what you had. Are you with me today? But you had to have one. And today they don't rarely even come on new cars anymore because everything is downloaded. But, but if you can just say, thank you, Lord, that I have a radio. Come on. I, I may not get 40 miles to the gallon, but thank you, Lord, that I get 20 because I could be getting 15. 
And if you will begin to thank God for what you do have, rather than what you don't have, I promise you contentment will be yours, and you just may find that God will bless you when you're content. Come on, give him a good, a good hand. Verse 7, after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world. And I want you to say this with me. We can't take anything with us when we leave it. Now, I want you to let that sink in. We can't take anything with us when we leave it, and if we have food and clothing, be content with that. Now, I used to use this phrase, and I, I stand corrected on it. I used to say there are no U-Hauls behind hearses. This must be from California is all I can imagine. <laughs> Let me read you, read, you, read you a verse. Leave that up there just a second. I want you to think about that. Now, if you're an Egyptian pharaoh thousands of years ago, when you're buried, you bring all your 300 slaves in with you and your wife and everything, and everybody dies together to go into the afterlife. You know, that's the craziest thing. Anyway, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 18. Solomon said this. I came to hate all my hard work on the earth because I must leave to others everything I learned. He was rich. He was prosperous. He had buildings. He had it all. But he said, I hate it. Who can tell whether my successor will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by my skill and by my hard work. So what's the point in that? Eternity is forever and absolutely everything you own in your life right now is either going to end up in the garage sale, the garbage, or in your estate in your lawyer's hands. Are you with me today? You cannot take any of it with you. And if that's true, then why am I driven to get more money and stuff and ignore storing up treasures in heaven? See, how do you store up treasures in heaven? It's the good works. It's the giving to God. It's the helping people. But if you're not careful, we can live everything with this myopic view. Do you know the more you have, the more money and time it takes to take care of it? Amen. I don't care what you have. We have this beautiful picture of Bethany, uh, my daughter, her, when she was married. And, of course, if you have to have a, a beautiful picture, you've got to have a beautiful and expensive frame. And it's hanging in the hallway, and they put a cheap wire on it, and it falls on the ground and nearly breaks. Are you with me today? Everything you have. We, we, we got a grandfather clock uh, years ago from, from somebody we knew, and now it's broken and doesn't work. I mean, I don't have anything in my house that I don't have to paint, fix, tear up, throw away, or do something different with. Now listen, don't get me wrong. I'm glad I live in my house. But if you have two houses, you're going to have twice the... I mean, whatever you have... Listen, I have things in my life that I have not used in two or three years, and they're insured. Now, I'm confessing my sins, I guess, before you. All I'm trying to do is, is tell you, we live in a world where we pray to God to bless us, and God gives us nice, good things to enjoy. But these things can become weeds that choke the Word of God. And this is what I'm just trying to hopefully be a vehicle where the Holy Spirit can, 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 can speak to you. I don't want my possessions to consume me. I want God to consume me. Now, the message is really focus this next verse. People who long to be rich, this is, see, first you, you long for God, and you ask Him for daily bread, and you work hard, but now it's reversed. They long to be rich. They fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into what? Ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, 
But the love of it, see, this is why the scripture says, greatest commandment, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Well, now we're loving money. It's the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, here's the heart problem again, they crave money. Longing to be rich, craving money, wander from the true faith and pierce themselves with many sorrows. What does that mean? That means money and the desire for it can be a temptation that can pull me away from God. I cannot tell you where to draw the line. I do not presume to have a legalistic uh, uh, amount of how many shoes in your closet are okay. I cannot tell you how many hunting coats or, or, or how many turkey decoys are okay. But I'm telling you, you need to think about these things. I'm telling you, you need to live with open hands rather than this because you can catch Lyme's disease. Punch your neighbor and say, he's preaching pretty good this morning. See, half of you don't believe that. You wish you'd have gone to another church today, but I'll be done in just a second. Let, let me help you. Look at verse 10. The love of money, the roots of all, all kind of evil. Now, what are the symptoms of Lom's disease? How do I know if I've got it? Let me give you a couple observations. Greed. Greed means always wanting more and never satisfied with what I have. Here's a big one. To be tight-fisted, unwilling to give or share. Or if you do it, you do it because ungrudgingly because your wife has made you or somebody guilted you into it. That's a symptom. Uh, covetousness. To be covet is to want something other people have as a source of happiness. And number four concerns me deeply. I'll lie, cheat, or steal to get it. If I'll do anything to get it, if I'll lie at my job, if I'll lie on the contract, if I'll lie to the IRS, come on now, these are, these are, these are indicators of problems. Uh, the fifth one violates a biblical truth. I take advantage of the poor. Or if I'm driven to get more and I'll do whatever it takes. An old movie years ago, uh, Wall Street, Gordon Gecko said, greed is good. And if you don't think these things can destroy your spiritual life, let me read you two biblical stories. The first one is about Judas Iscariot. He was a man who not only observed Jesus do miracles, but arguably probably did miracles when the twelve were sent out. Well, shortly before the crucifixion, he's eating dinner, Jesus and all the disciples, and a woman comes in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume and poured it on his head. Uh, I think essential oils. How many are with me on essential oils there? Yeah, okay. Well, think of that, and think of this little bottle of oil cost you one year's wages. Whatever you make. If you make 30000 a year, if you can imagine taking all that and putting it in a bottle, or if you make 100000 a year, it's all in a bottle, and you pour it on Jesus' head to anoint him for burial. Uh, John's Gospel says this, Judas Iscariot said that perfume was worth a year's wages, should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Sounds very noble. But he didn't care for the poor. He was a thief. And he was in charge of the disciples' money. What's it say? He often stole some for himself. But Jesus replied, and why criticize the woman for doing such a good thing for me? And then Jesus even said, what she's done will be talked about all over the world. And that touched Judas's money God. When he, Jesus rebuked him in front of everybody else and exposed his money God, Satan took over. And then Judas goes to the leading priests and said, How much? How much will you pay me to betray Jesus? And they gave him 30 pieces of silver. And here's the way the devil works when it comes to things like this. He got the money, but then he realized what he'd done. He tried to give it back. They wouldn't take it. They laughed at him. He threw it on the floor, and he went out and hung himself. Can I tell you, that is exactly what Satan will try to do with us. He will create a desire, a lure for something. It becomes our master. 
And when we think it's going to ultimately satisfy us, it destroys us. Let me give you another example, Luke 12. I can relate to this one. It's the parable of a successful man. In this case, he was a farmer, but it could be someone that's just got an inheritance. It could be someone that's got a big bonus. It could be someone that's got a new block of business. Uh, but Luke 12 says, Jesus is speaking. He said, beware and guard against every kind of greed. And greed is that push with inside us that wants more, that's not going to be happy until I get more. And Jesus said this amazing statement, life is not measured by how much you own. When, what matters when you and I die, and we will, is not the accounting that's drawn up of our estate. The, well, the more wealth you have, the more lawyers and CPAs and people it'll take to sort everything out. But ultimately, they'll get a sorting out of it. Your will will distribute the, the money to somebody else, and who knows what they'll do with it. And the judge will put his face on it. But how many know everything that you've done for Christ? Come on, whether it's a prayer you prayed, a Bible you bought, whether it's the time you shared your faith, how many know God remembers that for all eternity? And this is in our material world. So Jesus said, your life is not measured by how much you own. And he told a story. He said, a rich man had a fertile farm. It produced fine crops. Here's the blessing. And he said to himself, now I want you to listen. How many times do you hear the word I, me, my, or mine? What should I do? I don't have any room for all my crops. He didn't pray. He didn't ask God. He just saw that he needed more room for more stuff. And he said, I know I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones Then." I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods, and I will sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. What is all about him? He had lost God as first and foremost in his life. And listen to what God said, verse 20. God said to him, you fool, you're going to die this very night. And then who's going to get everything you've worked for? Well, I can answer that question. It's whoever marries your wife. I mean, she's going to be living in those bigger barns, and they're going to have plenty stored up. They're going to be driving a new chariot, too, in style. Look at verse 21. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth and not have a rich relationship with God. It didn't say a person is a fool who's wealthy. It said a person is a fool who puts wealth above God. See, some of, some of the wealthiest people that have ever lived have been dedicated Christian people, and they have done tremendous good with their money. And that's my prayer for you. My prayer is that God would bless everyone in this room with, 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 with the level of abundance that we can handle, but not so much, come on now, that we forget about God. It's what the writer of Proverbs, we read several days ago in our reading, God said, he said, look, God, don't give me so much that I forget about you, and don't let me be so poor that I'll steal to get it, but let me have just enough for each day. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me, uh, I, I need about three more minutes. How many give me three more minutes? Three, six, nine, twelve. That's all I need. Hang on. Uh, one more verse. This is the antidote for Lyme's disease. First Timothy 6, 17 Paul, again writing, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world, that's us, not to be proud and not to trust money, which is so unreliable. This pride is a sense of arrogance. It's a sense of, I'm the man. It's more than just self-sufficiency. It's more than self-confidence. But it's an arrogant, deceptive illusion that I'm the one that created all this, and I can keep creating it, and I can take care of myself. 
Money is unreliable. You don't believe me? Watch the stock market in the last few days. Uh, we're told about other bubbles, bubbles in the housing mar market, Bitcoin, all, all the things that, 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 that wealth disappears overnight. But notice what he says. Your trust should be in God. What does that mean? God is the source of everything I have. I challenge you, the next check you get, whether you give it to a bank teller or put it in the ATM or scan it on your phone, the next check you get, pause just a minute and say, thank you, Lord, for giving this to me. See, my source is not my job. My source is not Social Security. My source is not my mom, my dad. Come on, my source is God. Put your trust in God. And look at this phrase. Here's the balance. Who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. God doesn't need your money. He's looking for your heart. Are, are you with me today? God wants to bless us. And, and, and if you, listen, if, if you're blessed and you can take the cruise and listen, sign up for the ticket and buy one for Linnell and I and Rebecca. We would like to go with you. <laughs> if, if God blesses you and you can enjoy something, thank him for it. But again, live with open hands. It's just like the vest I talked about. Is it the vest? If I can't do both, is it the vest or is it this particular issue where I feel God wants to help me? But if God blesses you to do it, enjoy it with no guilt. But here's probably the most important verse of the day. Tell them to use their money to do good. What do we say you can do with money? I make my daily bread. Uh, I enjoy it. I save for the future. Uh, what else would be? That's the main thing. You know, I give to the Lord's work. But, but how do I use my money to do good? Well, here's what it tells us. Be rich in good works and be generous to those in need. What are good works? Investing your money in God's kingdom. Investing your money in God's works. Helping people that are in need. It's the great commandment. You cannot take anything to heaven with you, but you can take people that you've affected for Christ. And this is the antidote for Lom's disease. Live with open hands. Use your money to do good. Uh, uh, be rich in good works and generous to those in need. And look what will happen to you, verse 19. By doing this, they will store up their where do you think your treasure's stored? It's in heaven, friends, as a good foundation for the future so you may experience true life. Come on, give the Lord a good hand this morning. I'm done. Why don't you stand to your feet here and, and, and let's close. Now look, before you slip out and run to Cracker Barrel or wherever you're going, I want you to take just a second and just have just a moment with God. I'm honored that you'd be here there's a lot of wonderful churches in our town. I'm honored that you're here this morning, but I want to ask you this question. What has the Holy Spirit been saying to you this morning? It's not my intent to be legalistic and tell you how many pairs of shoes are enough or whatever the case is, but I have wanted to create some open doors and windows where the Holy Spirit could put some boundaries in your life. I have today, hopefully, taking some condemnation over guilt when God blesses you away. I have, hopefully from the Word of God today, challenged you to see that you're, what you do with money and material things is a spiritual test. The Bible says in James, though, don't just hear the Word of God, be a, be a doer. Just bow your head just a moment and just say, Lord, what are you saying to me? Just ask Him. And I'm not suggesting just a booming voice will come to you, but I am saying this. Lord, would you drop thoughts in our minds? Would you let this word that we've heard today, nothing but scripture, let it be like seeds that fall in good ground. And now let these seeds grow up. I don't want to have weeds that, 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 that choke the seed. 
I, I, I want to take the hoe in my mind, as it were. I want to pull up weeds so a godly life can come forth. Could we just take just a minute and say thank you to God for what he's given for, to us? I want you just in your mind's eye, picture your closet just a second and just say thank you. If you have one pair of pants and one shirt or if you have 50, could you just say thank you, Lord? Wherever you're living, listen, if you spent the night in a borrowed room or, 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 or if you rent an apartment or if you have a beautiful home, could you just say thank you, Lord? And Lord, we just declare that none of these things are our own. They belong to you and we want to be a good steward of what you put in our hands. My debit card, not mine. It's yours. And I want to say thank you that you're a good provider. And I want to do what the scripture says in Matthew. I don't want to worry about clothes and food and shelter. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And God and his goodness will take care of me. Lord, grant me that wonderful gift of contentment. And show me, Lord, what to do with my ambitions and what to do with my desires. And help me live in a way that's pleasing to you. In Jesus' name. Everybody say it. Let's close this way. We want to sing one last song and then dismiss. But I want to make a place for prayer. Maybe you're here. Maybe there's something in the message has really stirred your heart. Maybe you feel a need to connect with God. Maybe you missed the earlier prayer time and you've got some real serious challenges out in the world. They're still there. And you want someone to pray with you. They'll, they'll have some just private time with you here. Be happy to pray or talk with you. But the most important thing we'd like to offer prayer for is your personal relationship with God. You know that little humorous uh, picture we showed of the, of the hearse with the, with the U-Haul? You may not have a U-Haul behind it, but sooner or later, every one of us in this room are going to face death. And I'm not trying to scare you, but I want to just remind you something that we all know, but we suppress. One day we're going to stand before God and give an account for our life. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He died to, wait, to, to make a way so our sins could be forgiven. See, all the things that I've done wrong, I can never atone for them by doing good. I cannot give enough money away to earn a way into heaven. My forgiveness only comes through Jesus Christ and what he's done. But I've got to receive that. I was raised in church, grateful for it like many of you, but going to church won't get you to heaven. How many know that? It's when you put your trust in Christ. Maybe you're here today and, and maybe you've tried to find happiness. Maybe in my conversation about material things, maybe you've lived your whole life trying to get them and you got them and it, and it, and it didn't give you what you thought it would. Something's missing. Can I tell you, friend, we all have a God-shaped hole on the inside we're trying to fill. We fill it with money, with things, material things, with education, with success, with status, with power. But it doesn't satisfy. It's like that bucket in our heart has a hole in the bottom of it and it just drains out. I'm telling you, friend, Jesus can plug up that hole. Because he wants a personal relationship with us. And can I tell you where it starts? It starts when you commit your life to follow him. It starts when you put your eternal soul in his hands. And a life that was once lived walking your own way. You pause in a moment and turn to the Christ of the cross that's alive and say, Lord, I want to follow you. Maybe that's a step you need to make today. If it is, friend, I'm going to invite you when we begin to sling, sing, just slip out of your chair and come meet someone at the cross. We will not embarrass you. People will, people will clap their hands if they see you do that because it's the greatest step you'll ever make in your life when you commit your life to Christ. So if that's you or if you've gotten away from God and today you want to come back, 
We'd be honored to pray with you at that cross. So go ahead and sing our last song. Our prayer team's coming to the front right now to pray with you about anything. And if you need to make a step to Christ, don't vacillate. We'll see you there. I'm glad you were here this morning, Lord willing. I'll see you next week. I love you.